this week I had, um, I was reading something and found a beautiful quote, and uh, it wasn't a Buddhist quote, so I had to then go back and try to connect it to Buddhist teaching. So it may not seem like a good connection to you, but for me it really fell in line. The quote is by uh, Rainier Maria, Rilke, is it Rilke, I think, the poet? And it's a beautiful, beautiful quote. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions. I really like that. Um, and what I immediately thought of were the questions that the Buddha talked to us about and said were the unanswerable questions. And there are 10 unanswerable questions. I have to write them down because I never can remember all 10. <laughs> I always have to ask Todd to help me with them. So, the, and, and he had different suttas where he talked about also the appropriate time to answer questions and the appropriate time to just um, be silent and not answer questions. And the Buddha talked a lot also about the kinds of questions people ask and uh, where they might be coming from with the kinds of questions they ask. So the, the 10 unanswerable questions are there his, the Buddha's propositions that defy assertion, that the world is eternal, that it has no beginning in time, or the question, if the world is not eternal, is the world spatially infinite or is the world not spatially infinite? And does this, is the soul identical with the body or is the soul not identical with the body? And is, is the Tathagata, the Buddha, the enlightened Buddha, does, that, does the Tathagata exist after death? Or does the Tathagata not exist after death? And does the enlightened being, the Tathagata, both exist and not exist after death? And the final one, does the Tathagata neither exist nor does not exist after death? <laughs> these, and, and these are some of the questions that people would come to the Buddha and ask him often because they came from another school. There were so many spiritual teachers at the time in India, and there was, it was such a wonderful, right time for spiritual investigation. So there would be people who would come legitimately from another teacher, and they'd pose a question to the Buddha that was a question their teacher had said that their teacher had answered. And so they wanted to see if the Buddha's answer was the same. Um, and some of these, like the soul, the question about the soul, you know, some of the questions exist in certain traditions, but they don't, the question doesn't even exist in other, in other traditions. But there were times when the Buddha also knew that a student may have been sent from another teacher to kind of set the Buddha up, like a trick question. And it would be a question that their teacher maybe had answered a different way or had said there's no answer to this question. But the Buddha always said to people, 
there are some questions that he wouldn't answer and that he didn't think were the questions that need to be answered because they were not the questions he came to this world to answer. And they were not part of his mission. And what he had discovered when he became enlightened was a way to help us in suffering in this life. And so if the questions were outside what he thought were important questions to be asking ourselves, it, it was something that was outside what he saw as being important. He didn't think they, they might be questions that people could fill a lifetime talking about and studying, but to the Buddha, they were not the questions that he was here to talk about. He was here to talk about the Four Noble Truths, that there is suffering, that this world is full of dissatisfaction and dis-ease, and that there is, a, there is a cause for that, that there's a way out of that suffering, and then he taught the Eight Noble Path, Eightfold Path, to show us very specifically the steps to, to end that suffering for us in this lifetime. We still live in the world, we still live in a world that we know is full of pain and hardship and sadness, but we're able to find our way in it without being tossed around and jerked around by all of the uh, parts of the world that are difficult for us. But these questions were questions that he just thought, you know, think about the kind of endless conversations we can have about a lot of these questions. They're really more of a distraction for our practice than they are a way to help us focus on our practice. And so the sutta that he, one of, it's also one of my favorite suttas, but one of the suttas that he talked about when he talked about the 10 unanswerable questions <coughs> was uh, one of his, it's very short, so I think I'll even read, I'll uh, read it and edit through it as I read it. He was sitting in his, one of the gardens, one of his parks, and one of his disciples, Malankyaputta, came to him. And Malankyaputta was, um, had already gone into more of a, a retreat. He had retired from the world. And he was concerned that there were a lot of things that he didn't know the answer to. So he was ready to go and spend the rest of his life in meditation practice, but there were things that the Buddha hadn't explained to him. So he came to the Buddha and said, okay, was the world eternal or not eternal? Was the soul different from the body? Did the enlightened exist after death or not? And he was thinking, if the Buddha can't explain these things to me, then he was just going to give up and disrobe and go back to his layperson's life. So he put the questions to the Buddha, and the Buddha said, now did I ever say to you that if you led a religious life, you would understand these things? <laughs> it is as if a man had been wounded by an arrow, thickly smeared with poison, and his friends, companions, relatives, went to, wanted to get a surgeon to heal him, and he said to them, I will not have this arrow pulled out until I know who wounded me, of what caste he is, what his name is, whether he is tall, short, or medium height, what color his skin is, where he comes from, what kind of bow I was wounded with, what it was made of, whether the arrow was feathered with a vulture's wing or a heron's or a hawk's. Surely the man would die before help came. 
and before he had the answer to those questions. Whether the view is held that the world is eternal or not, Malankyaputta, there is still rebirth, old age, death, grief, suffering, sorrow, and despair, and these can be destroyed in this life. I have not explained these other things because they are not useful. They are not conducive to tranquility and nirvana. What I have explained is suffering, the cause of suffering, the destruction of suffering, and the path that leads to the destruction of suffering. This is useful, leading to non-attachment, the absence of passion, perfect knowledge. And when the Buddha told that to Malankyaputta, he, uh, with joy, he applauded the Buddha's words. So I love that story. That, so what the Buddha was telling us was, he doesn't have to say yes or no to any of those questions. That those questions are not important for the teachings the Buddha was bringing to us. And if we feel like all those questions have to be answered, we'll be neglecting the real issue, which is working with our minds, working with our practice, understanding suffering, understanding how to root it out of our lives. So they become distractions. And, and then when I found this quote from Rilke, I thought it was, it was such a wonderful thing to even add to that, that, uh, that what we need to do is when we feel questions coming up, unanswerable questions, not just these 10 questions, our unanswerable questions may be, what's going to be happening to me five years from now? Uh, you know, am I going to have enough money to, be, to live in retirement? Uh, are my kids going to grow up and be well, happy, and peaceful? How long are my parents going to live? You know, is something horrible going to happen when I walk out of the building and get run over by a truck? You know, we have all of these things that cause anxiety and stress in our lives. Those are also... If you think about it, they're all unanswerable questions. So beyond what we know we can do, we can work, we can love the people that we're with right now when we're with them, we can take care of ourselves as best we can. The rest is unanswerable. You know, how long do I have on this earth? What kind of illnesses am I going to get? Uh, one person was mentioning to me earlier this week, she and her husband just retired, and her husband said, he, he, he said, you know, if we knew how long we were going to live, we could figure out how to budget our retirement money. <laughs> and she said, thank goodness she'd been practicing for a while because she could just look at him and said, yeah, right, well, good luck with that one. <laughs> those are unanswerable questions. But if we're honest with ourselves, those are the kind of questions we're always asking ourselves. Those are the questions that wake us up in the middle of the night. And we start thinking that maybe we can, if we can think of all those questions, maybe we can fix some things. Maybe we can find the answers. You know, maybe we can do something that nobody else on this planet has been able to do, is to answer those unanswerable questions. And so instead of being able to relax and sit and really feel ourselves relax our bodies and let our minds settle in at their own 
really beautiful level of insight and understanding, if we can just let go of all that thinking we do, it's so, it's so difficult for us to do that that we're always thinking. And if, and if you watch your thoughts, those are the unanswerable questions. You know, even, even if you start putting your shopping list, list together or the things you're going to get done today, at the end of the day, how many of those things actually got done? So what we need to do more and more, and I think she says it beautifully in this quote, is learn to listen to our unanswered questions. When we sit calmly and quietly, and we know that those thoughts keep coming in, we're not trying to push those thoughts away, but just notice what are those which of our thoughts are those unanswered questions coming up? In the middle of the night, what are the thoughts that are waking us up? Uh, when we feel our stomach become anxious about something, what, is, what are those questions that are coming up? Those are probably our, the unanswerable questions in our life. And we need to stop and just listen to the questions first. Know what our questions are. And that can give us what we need to work with, I think, most of the time. See what it is that you are distracting yourself with. What are the questions that are your favorite distractions? If you could let those questions go, if you could make peace with them and then let them go, would it give you more time to sit on the cushion or more time to be with someone you love, more time to you know, read a book that's really uh, valuable to you? So think about your unanswerable questions and live, I'll read her quote again because I think it has so much in it. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not, seek, do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything, live the questions. Any questions? <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. So. I do have a comment. Uh-huh. Um, I just think that the truth is going to be the truth no matter what anybody believes. It's always going to be the truth. So with the unanswerable questions, I can just kind of let it be. Just let it be. Right. Just letting it be is so hard for us too, right? We want to know, we, we want to think that we can answer every question. And what we, what we know about, if you think about your life up to this point, what you knew as a child and you absolutely knew you were right is not what you know now to be. And now as we get older, we, we eventually figure out we don't know absolutely anything. <laughs> Because a minute from now, what we know will change. And that's what we practice all the time. We see the change in our body, and our mind. So that helps us understand that what we know, what we see right now, will change. So we need to just live with the questions. The truth won't change. I love what you say. The truth won't change based on how we how we think about it. Uh-huh, Jim. 
Well, I think this whole thing about these uh, ten questions that Buddha wants to address is um, just going back to the second noble truth where he says that desire causes suffering. And if you desire to try to answer these questions over and over again, the obstacles to this is just so high, you can't overcome so you're just going to suffer, and this is not beneficial. So this is just another example um, of where we should choose our desires and look and question our desires on, on what, we, what we want. You know, it's, it's like a desire, for example, uh, somebody dies, and you desire to be with that person, and, you, and you're sad because you can't. You know, this is a, an unbeneficial desire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Thank you. What was? Do you remember, Todd, the Rumi quote? Someone brought up uh, Thursday night in Elkhorn. It's a beautiful quote by by Rumi about the eye. No. <laughs> <laughs> He rarely fails me, but <laughs> the very short that the, that 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 we shut that we put that eye that that that's closed off as soon as we ask why. Ask why? Yeah. It's a bit, well, somebody who knows Rumi, look that quote up and find it. But it's very it was it very it was exactly to the to the point. Uh, the other story of the Buddhas that, that I particularly like is, it's again about the, the, the arrow, but it's, if, if someone is shot with an arrow, it hurts, right? That's enough pain. But you wouldn't just allow someone to just keep shooting you in the same spot with another arrow and another arrow. Uh, that just creates more pain. So that asking those questions, like, Whose arrow was it? How tall is a person? You know, what caste is a person? It's the same thing. The every that's just more and more pain instead of dealing with that initial pulling that arrow out or getting the surgeon to take care of the pain. Uh huh. Kim. Um, I, I have to kind of laugh sometimes when I think when we try to answer those questions, how we complicate things. Um, yes. <laughs> And because we feel like we're supposed to know, I when I started studying Buddhism, I, I noticed there was different types, you know, different places and different, and I kind of like the very basic. When I was raised Catholic, I used to think, well, what did Jesus really say? Instead of what did all these other people say about what he said, what did he really say? And when those questions can't be answered, I, you know, you see things like people want to know if there's afterlife and what is heaven like, and, and then you start to get these descriptions where people have actually put measures on, there are four layers of heaven, and uh-huh. there are 700 <laughs> hectares wide. I, I start to laugh because I'm like, oh my gosh, we've made it way too complicated. <laughs> Which is human nature, isn't it? That's our human mind. And somehow we think if we can define things and categorize them and, and make it crystal clear, then it makes it more real. It's better not to think about it and just focus on the... I found since I started doing this that when I drive along now, instead of thinking you know, some of the mundane thoughts that I used to think, all of a sudden I realized I was observing myself today. I had a feeling and I went, hmm, I wonder why I'm feeling that way about this person. Maybe I should do this and all of a sudden I went, 
I get it now. I get the practice, how this training carries over into our daily lives. It allows us the freedom to kind of look inside and it becomes a natural way of life. At least I'm finding it too. Yeah, that's great. It's expansive rather than contracting right, and then right. imprisoning us. Angie? I was going to say that it's asking the questions and then also trying to solve the problems, not just not just for yourself, but for other people, particularly your loved ones, your children and things like that. And trying to get them to understand that you know, we can't we can't make things better for them. It just has to happen. And I think that's what's hardest for me is mm-hmm. not I mean, you know, my own comfort is, is secondary to the comfort of my children and my family and trying to solve their problems and answer their questions it just isn't possible. And getting them to understand that some things you just can't help if they will be what they will be. Mm-hmm. It's always a paradox raising children because when they're small, we want them to be completely secure. And so mommy and daddy answer all the questions, right? Then they get a little bit older and we have to teach them, guess what? (laughs) (laughs) We can't answer those questions. Yeah, that's very hard, right? And we all struggle with that. They're always, because we had, it, it was, that's how we were raised too. We went from having all the questions, all answered, all comfortable and tied up, maybe even in the religion that we grew up with. And it's very shocking to, di- to then discover that those aren't the, necessarily the answers. Right. That and even if it wasn't really the answer, you gave them an answer, you gave your children an answer, you, you tried to fulfill, you know, <laughs> you know, answer the question for them, solve the problem. And you know the solve the problem is either going to come back or really is it a solution? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so as a parent, we have to sit with those unanswerable questions. <laughs> How do you raise children and let them help them be secure and happy and safe, and yet you know there are lots of unanswerable questions. So what we can hope for is that our practice every day gives us that expansion, like you were talking about, Kim, you know, where we can't figure things, we, we just cannot figure out things. We can't fix everything. We just have to, to allow ourselves to let our minds do what they can do for us, which is to come up with the way, a way for us to live with the uncertainty and with the unanswered questions. And it's beyond our thinking. Our thinking is what limits us. Well, why we sit on the cushion is to try to uh, allow that to expand. I thought that was Ponte Sumana walking. (laughs) 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 He's an Indiana. (laughs) So, just allow yourself to relax and allow those questions to come up. Those questions may help you know who you are but that doesn't mean you have to answer them. But, but sit with those questions and just, uh, just notice that they're there. Notice how often they come up and be okay with that. And just uh, keep living. Don't get sidetracked by those unanswerable questions. So thank you everybody. <laughs>